Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be understood as or considered a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Briefly Legal, the podcast brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. I'm your host, Adam Childers, coming to you from the Crow's Nest, headquarters of Crow and Dunleavy here in Oklahoma City. Today, we are going to be talking about the protection of data privacy and specifically legislative efforts to try to protect your data privacy, including right here in the state of Oklahoma. I'm going to be joined today by a couple of my colleagues. I'll be here with my law partner, Anthony Hendricks, as well as an associate with the firm, Jordan Sessler. Say hello to everybody, fellas. Hey, hi, everyone. I'm super excited to be here. Hey, this is Jordan. Uh, Good to be in the crow's nest. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad to have you guys here because we're going to be talking about something that, although I understand is in the news and is important to a lot of people, I, I must confess, I'm not the most uh, tech savvy guy. And so I'm, I'm glad to hear that you guys will be here with me to kind of guide me through this complex area of the law. Just so everyone knows a little bit about Anthony and Jordan, uh, give you just a little bit of background and, and help you understand the, the expertise that they have and that they lend to the discussion that we're going to be having today. So first up is Anthony Hendricks. I mentioned he's one of my law partners. He's a director here in our Oklahoma City office. Remember that uh, Crow has offices here in Oklahoma City, Tulsa, and Dallas. Anthony advises clients on privacy and data protection, uh, really kind of an overarching cybersecurity area that he is um, building a a lot of expertise within. And that uh, expertise includes his knowledge of the European Union's general data protection regulations. And he uses uses that to coach clients on developing data breach response plans, and he also represents clients who are facing enforcement actions related to cyber laws. Now, if that didn't sound impressive enough, I would like to also point out that Anthony is a member of the uh, alums of Harvard Law School. Uh, We've had a few of those over the years here at Crow and Dunleavy, and and proud to have him here, and glad to have you here today, Anthony, to talk on these issues. Uh, Now, let's turn to uh, Jordan. Uh, Sessler. Now, I'm beginning to get a bit of a complex because, folks, I've got another Harvard alum on my hands, and that is Jordan. And so I'm just the, you know, I'm the I'm the state kid, uh, the University of Oklahoma uh, degree. So I'll be getting out of the way soon. I promise to let these eggheads run the uh, the conversation. But Jordan is one of our uh, most talented associates and a wonderful uh, attorney. And he is someone who is working as well, just like Anthony, on counseling counseling clients on the rapidly evolving field of cybersecurity and data privacy. He advises clients on handling consumer data, developing cybersecurity plans, and responding to potential data breaches and understanding data protection laws, which means that the two of them know exactly what they're talking about, which is a great thing because I want to begin, guys, by just sort of reintroducing the topic and what is data privacy? What are we really talking about and what do uh, the listeners need to understand about the nuts and bolts of data privacy as it relates to what it is that we're even trying to protect against? Sure, that's a great question. I, I think any discussion on what uh, data privacy is should start with just a conversation about what privacy is altogether. And privacy in its simplest form is just the right to be left alone. 
And so when we take this to the tech space and we talk about data privacy, it's this idea that you should be able to control what information that you're providing. And when I say control what information you're providing, it's more than just uh, being able to uh, upload a picture and know that that picture is yours. But it goes beyond that. There's a lot of other information that that you expose uh, when you're online. Uh, whether that's the sites that you go to, what you click on, uh, your team that you're following on, on Twitter. And, and so this idea of data privacy is simply being able to understand what information you're sharing, to decide who gets to see it, to decide how companies that you share this information uh, use this information and to be informed along the way. And then to at some point to be able to say, I no longer want you to have this information and for the company to respond accordingly. So to build on that point, I, for someone like myself, uh, you know, if I'm on social media and just like you said, let's say um, I'm a I'm a huge Los Angeles Dodgers fan. All right. So I went to game six of the World Series, watched them close out last year and then immediately went on you know Major League Baseball's site and bought as much World Series stuff as I could. Now, it is no coincidence that I began receiving lots of updates from Major League Baseball and Interestingly, a lot of other companies that I didn't buy merchandise from. Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about, that electronic trail that you leave behind? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of times when we share information, we think it only goes one place. And so it's important for us to know what happens to the information that we share. Sure, you want MLB to have that information because they're going to send you the merchandise that you buy. Uh, And you may want to get updates from MLB because uh, there may be a sale or a discount. But you want to know what other parties they're sharing that information with so that you can say, no, I, I, I don't want this random company contacting me. I'd like to just uh, no longer subscribe to them or, or know in advance what they're going to do with that information. Absolutely. And, and Jordan, you know, hearing what Anthony just described, I'm assuming that as usual, technology kind of outpaces, at least initially, efforts to kind of curb the, the downsides. But I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, legislation's starting to catch up. So give us a window into you know, what has been happening? What have other countries, what have other jurisdictions done to sort of address these issues? Yeah, I think it makes sense to start first with the United States. Um, And, you know, folks like Anthony and I have talked for a long time about how there isn't a singular privacy law in the United States. And that's still the case. There are a few federal privacy laws, but they don't really engage with um, cybersecurity or online data privacy. So one that we're all, all pretty familiar with is HIPAA in the medical context, right? When you go to a doctor and you share certain information with them, you expect that that's going to stay with the doctor and you sign a waiver if they're going to share it in any way. And they usually tell you exactly how they're going to share it. And you sign that form and you understand that they're going to act in accord with that. There's a few other federal laws that touch on, again, these small spaces within the privacy sphere. So HIPAA and high tech deal with medical information. FERPA deals with educational information that you might send to a college or some sort of a private school. And then the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act deals with um, financial information. So again, when you give your social security number to a bank or to a credit reporting agency, you expect that they're going to keep it private. And if they were selling that information to someone else, you would be angry. You would wonder why they had your credit card number or your social security number. For online data privacy, there's been very little in the United States up until relatively recently. Probably the biggest law that people are familiar with in recent years has been the California Consumer Privacy Act. And that essentially made clear that every Californian um, had a right to privacy. And it applied to most companies that did business in California. 
And it required that companies be open and honest with every consumer about how they were using their information. So if you've gone to a website, you'll often see a privacy policy. And it, for a company that's complying with the CCPA, they're going to make sure in that privacy policy that they're telling you exactly how they're using your information, exactly who they're sharing your information with, if they're selling it to anyone like advertisers or to a partner, and what they're doing to keep your information safe. The CCPA also required that companies essentially respond to consumer requests. So it empowered consumers to go reach out to a company and say, hey, what data of mine do you have on file? Hey, you know, who are you sharing my data with? And even make requests. So to be able to go out and say, hey, stop sharing my data, delete my data, stop selling it to other people. And that was really the first privacy law in the US that we would call comprehensive, which set forth, hey, privacy is a right. Here's what businesses have to do. Here's what consumers can do. And that applied to all privacy, all sort of data that was out there, not just a, a singular website, but also a company that you might be doing business with. You might go give your personal information to even at an in-person setting. That law would technically require them to undertake certain efforts to keep your information safe. Um, there's a more recent law in Virginia that does much of the same. But then there's also, you know, I think most famously a law in Europe, which Anthony's a little bit more familiar with, which essentially made every business everywhere and every person who can who collects a single piece of information to respect it and treat it in a certain way. And it, it set forth very high standards for keeping that information safe and significant private rights of action for individuals, and then also um, really cumbersome cybersecurity mechanisms. So, for example, I, I think that, and Anthony can correct me, I think that if you detect a cybersecurity incident or a data breach in Europe, you have to report it within 72 hours, which is incredibly difficult for a company to learn of a data breach, investigate a data breach, figure out if any information has been stolen, who stole it, and report it to an agency within oh, 72 yeah. hours. Particularly of a, a company of any kind of real scale, that... That's difficult on a good day. Anthony, do you share that concern about that comprehensive of approach? Yeah, it's it's a real difficult measure for people uh, to get over. I've helped clients with data breaches, investigations, and even when everyone is working in the same direction and everyone's focused on on gathering as much information possible to meet their requirements, that time frame in the GDPR it, it would be very, very difficult for people to hit. So I've heard from Jordan that California seemed to be on kind of the the cutting edge here in the States. And of course, we have the the European model that you know poses some problems. I guess that begs the question for us here in Oklahoma is what, if anything, are we doing about this? And so, Anthony, I'll pose the, the question to you to get us started. Is there anything in the works here in Oklahoma to address data privacy? Yes. For, for a long time, uh, frankly, Oklahoma wasn't doing very much. Thankfully, uh, there is the Oklahoma Computer Privacy uh, Data Privacy Act. And, and so this is a piece of legislation that's making its way through the Oklahoma State House. Uh, it passed uh, the Oklahoma uh, House of Representatives. It's now at the Oklahoma Senate. And we're following this closely because uh, this will be Oklahoma's version of what California and Virginia have. So, Jordan, tell us, who does it apply to then? Technically, it's, it's going to apply to any business that operates in the state of Oklahoma and collects personal information. And it sets out certain definitions of what personal information is. And in general, you should assume that any information is personal information, but it doesn't apply to quite everyone. So it has certain restrictions. So for the Oklahoma Data Privacy Act to apply to you, you have to have gross revenues in excess of $10 million, or you have to collect personal information from at least 50,000 individuals per year. So again, think maybe collecting information from 50,000 
clients or individual transactions, or you have to derive more than 25% of your income from selling personal information. So that should be a lot of companies in Oklahoma, but it would be, I think, probably almost all companies outside of Oklahoma that do significant business here. So, Anthony, that gives us an idea of the scope. Uh, kind of walk us through then the, the structure of the legislation. What What's in it in terms of specific protections and, and how they will apply? So, the big takeaway from the law, and I guess there's two, is one is consent. And so, when a business gathers information uh, from individuals, from consumers, they have to get their consent and they have to tell them what we're collecting and what we're going to do with it. And so that sounds pretty straightforward and, and, and sounds pretty reasonable. Uh, you should know what people are doing with your information and, and what they're going to use it for and what type of information they're gathering. But along with that, it includes an opt-in provision. Uh, and I, I think we'll talk about that a little bit more in detail uh, as we get into it. But the opt-in provision uh, applies to when they're going to sell uh, your data to a third party. And so before they can do that, you have to opt in. You have to say, yes, yes, I want you to do that. Uh, and so before they can do any of those types of transactions, they have to get a, a confirmation from you uh, saying that that's okay. So Jordan, that that seems like a pretty seismic change perhaps, and, and maybe even something that's goes beyond what other laws in this arena do. Am, am I wrong about that? Or, or where does Oklahoma stand on the opt-in? You're exactly right. This is the first law of its kind. And it's probably, to your point from earlier, the law finally catching up to the reality of what goes on online. So there's sort of this uh, implicit social contract. When you go online or you buy something from MLB after the Dodgers win the World Series, you know that you're providing data and you kind of know that someone's going to use that data. They're going to use it for their own purposes to send you more emails. They're going to use that to get your partners to send you new advertisements. And they may even sell that information and say, hey, man, there's this guy in Oklahoma City named Adam Childers. He loves the Dodgers. Go spam him and pay us some money in return. And we sort of assume that's the social contract. We get to use Facebook. We get to use a lot of these things for free. For example, on Facebook, right? You don't pay anything for that, but you know that you're going to see ads in response. Um, and so this sort of inverts that social contract. Instead of the assumption being that someone's tracking you and using your data, the assumption would be that you have this fundamental right to be left alone and that no one should see your data unless you give them consent, unless you opt in to them following. And data. that really is turning the whole paradigm on its head. And I, I never thought I'd hear myself say this, that when it comes to technology, that we'd be outpacing California in terms of a progressive approach to this. But I guess that begs the next question, Anthony, which is what's the takeaway? What best practices are you sharing with clients and, and companies that are going to be, you know, seeing this new law, you know, in place? So this law is still making its way through uh, the process in Oklahoma. And so it may or may not pass. But there are some simple things that you should be doing now, uh, despite this law. And, and that's one thing. If you have a business and you collect information from people, uh, you should know what information you're collecting. You should keep track of that. You should be upfront about what information you, you're gathering and what you're doing with that. Uh, even if there's not a specific requirement uh, in Oklahoma, that's just something that you should be doing because for a lot of consumers, privacy is important. And if they see that you are taking those types of steps, uh, you know, they'll create some loyalty. And also at the same time, it'll help you prepare for any other future laws or, or, or future compliance issues if you start that process now. 
What else should we be on the lookout for? We mentioned earlier, you know, data breaches and investigations. Jordan, can you expand on that a little bit? And what kind of best practices do you recommend there? Right. So um, the Oklahoma Data Privacy Act, like many of these other acts, have um, a few provisions that touch on data security. And one of those is that you need to basically employ what we would call industry standard practices to secure data. And so again, this actually ties to Anthony's point. Every time you collect a piece of information, you should know what you're collecting, you should keep track of it, and you should be upfront about the consumer. And then if there's, say, a data breach or you get hacked later on, you know what you had in your possession hmm. and you know what was lost. And it's easy to, to assess that. And if you're, again, use a cybersecurity firm or use a service provider, make sure that you are doing certain things to keep data safe. And if you're doing that, most of these laws will leave you alone. But if you're not doing that, if you're not doing everything that you can at a reasonable price to keep people's data safe, then you may have liability under this law to the Oklahoma Attorney General, and you may have liability under other laws. And you may also have reporting requirements. And, you know, this is sort of something that I think a lot of people overlook. But data privacy isn't just about having that relationship with the consumer. It's also about having your personal or your, I guess, corporate relationship with that data to make sure that if someone else comes along and tries to steal it, you're keeping it safe or you know what was stolen and you can report it promptly and you can be upfront about what the damages are. The takeaway for me from that is that this is a complex area of the law. It's um, it's changing by the day, even here in Oklahoma. And it sounds like uh, our listeners would be uh, well advised to be uh, relying on expertise like uh, like guys like you that uh, are, are looking at these issues every day. Because I can I can tell you that uh, most folks don't even understand the implications of what they're uh, you know clicking on and what happens next. Much much less the privacy protections that are afforded by the laws that are out there. So thank you both for sharing all that knowledge with us. Now before we go, I I, I don't want to let you you know uh, go back to your offices without. Uh, Having a, a part in my uh, my weekly game of uh, know that crow, and I want to start with Anthony because um, you know Anthony is a is a fellow podcaster, and I wanted to give you the uh, the opportunity to put a plug in for your own podcast. But importantly, tell the folks out there how you became uh, a podcaster and, and what your interest was. How'd you get there? So I host a podcast, a weekly podcast on cybersecurity and data privacy issues called Nothing About You Says Computer Technology. You can visit uh, the show's website at www.nothingaboutyou.com. Uh, and each week we just talk about cybersecurity news issues. Uh, we talk about a big story uh, that that you might read in the headlines. And then finally, we have some fun and we end the show with the cybersecurity award. And I started doing the podcast because I teach a cybersecurity law class at Oklahoma City uh, University School of Law. And a lot of the students came up to me and, and they didn't see themselves reflected in the cybersecurity field and the industry. Uh, they weren't the typical person who might start in that field because they may not have a technical background or they may be a woman or they may be a person of color. And uh, I, I, too, had that same story uh, when I told people I was interested in this uh, doing cybersecurity and data privacy issues. Uh, unfortunately, one person told me that I didn't look like the typical uh, cybersecurity professional. Uh, and, and so I, I use that uh, a play on that, along with the play on a comedy routine from uh, Steve Harvey, where he talks to a heckling fan and asks them what they do for a living. And they say computer technology. And he says, uh, I know I'm not supposed to say this about other black people, but nothing about you says computer 
or technology. So I took that and that that kind of painful discussion and turned it into something positive for all the people out there who are interested in the field, but may not be the typical person who, who's in the cybersecurity profession. Well, that's amazing, Anthony. And I, and I want to tell everyone out there that uh, when I learned that you had a podcast as we were getting ready for, for today's experience, I went out and listened to a couple of them and he is extremely good and made me feel a little bit uh, worried about my own skills as a host. There's always something to be learned though. And Anthony, I'm, I appreciate that uh, you're doing that uh, for the, for your students and for the folks out there that want to listen. And I encourage everybody to give it a spin. In fact, we're going to have a link uh, that goes out with the, uh, with this particular podcast. that will give folks the, uh, the opportunity to do exactly that. So now let's uh, give Jordan his turn at uh, know that crow. Um, when I talked to Jordan about what would we like to, to give some insight about, uh, there's a lot of things about Jordan that are very interesting. He's just kind of a cool cat in, in my estimation. But I will say this. He told me immediately, without fail, he wanted to talk about his life as a lawn jockey. So uh, it's it's springtime. It's uh, 70 degrees out today as we podcast. Uh, Jordan, tell us, tell us what's on your mind and how did you become a lawn jockey? I don't know how I became one, <laughs> um, but I am one. What's on my mind is that this is going out in mid-March. And if you live in Oklahoma City or really anywhere in sort of a upper south middle of the country, you should be putting down your grass seed now before it is too late. Much better be early than late. Here I'd recommend a bluegrass, ryegrass, tall, tall, turf type tall fescue mix. And if you put it down before a little bit of rain, it should grow on its own. If you want to use a fertilizer, I would try to use an organic fertilizer. I don't know if I can plug a product, so I, I won't do that here. Um, but in general, um, they're not going to burn your lawn. So especially as it gets hotter, you put a synthetic fertilizer on the lawn. It may burn, turn your grass sort of white or yellow. Um, just because it gets a little bit too hot, the chemicals react. Generally, organic fertilizers won't do that. So go put some grass seed down, put some organic fertilizer down, and you will thank me in two months. I tell you what, it's it's unfair for the two of you to be as intelligent and such good attorneys and still have time on your hands to have the kind of creativity and hobbies that that both of you have. I feel uh, privileged for having to get to time to share with you on this podcast today. And I know uh, that our audience is better off for having heard from both of you. So thanks for joining us today. All right, that's it for today. And I want to remind everyone to tune in to Briefly Legal on March 31st for an engaging conversation with Cliff Hudson, former CEO of Sonic Corporation and a member of the Corporate and Securities Practice Group here at Crow and Dunleavy. We're going to explore the topic of leadership and his book, Master of None, and we're excited to give away three signed copies. Just share one of our recent posts about the giveaway from Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn before March 31st, and you'll be entered into the drawing for a chance to win. We'll announce the winners on Briefly Legal during the episode with Cliff. You won't want to miss it. Thanks again, and thanks for tuning in to Briefly Legal.